Good morning. Um, yeah, like Matt said, I'm Evan. I'm a pastor in waiting here at Midtown West. Um, if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you. Um, this morning, we have come to the end of the prologue of Scripture. So we've been in Genesis. If you're visiting with us this morning, this is your first week. We are at the end of the creation account in Genesis, of Genesis 1. Um, and we are on day 7, a day of rest. Am I, am I having a lot of feedback? Here we go. Um, who doesn't love rest? Well, apparently we don't. Apparently we don't love rest. Uh, humanity, yes, but specifically Americans, we are of the most worked countries in the world. We work almost more hours on average than any other country in the world. Even worse than that, we rank higher on least vacation days taken. We're number two. What a sad award to have. Um, I don't think that's much of a surprise to hear, right? We're built, the pride of our country is that we are hustlers and grinders and go-getters. We are shakers and movers. We make things happen. And we don't hate the idea of rest. We want rest conceptually, right? We say we're busy, we want rest, but we're just bad at it. I was watching this SNL skit recently. I think it's SNL. I looked for it online. If you're an SNL fan, please let me know because I could not find it. But I was watching this skit recently of all these people at a sleep doctor. Um, they're having trouble falling asleep at night, and the doctor comes and is like, have you tried not looking at your phone for an hour before bed? And they're all like, yeah, that's, yeah, we'll take any pill you have, but we're not going to do that. And he's like, what about just 15 minutes? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll have any surgery, we'll cut our arm off, anything you can give us to sleep, we'll do that. Um, that's how we are with rest. That's how we are with God's rest, with his Sabbath, right? We say things like, I'm so busy, I'm so burnt out, I need rest, I need relief. And we say things like, I want to grow in intimacy and nearness to the Lord. Have you tried the fourth commandment? Have you tried... Sabbathing? Like, yeah, I don't know about that. But if you have anything else to give me, I'll take it. We are busy. And I'm guilty of this. Last week, a week ago today, every time someone asked me how I was doing, I said, busy. Busy. To one person, I think I even said, busy, but good busy. No, it's not. It's not good busy. <laughs> the Lord's been convicting me this week of just how flippantly and apathetic I am toward his call to Sabbath rest. And my lack of trust in what he says, that it's good for me. We are busy people, overstimulated, nonstop moving. We don't rest. We resist it. And God has a lot to say about that. So who's reading our scripture this morning? Great. Stuart, would you come on up? If you were with us last week, Matt talked about day six of creation. And in sharp contrast to what our world tells us, what our culture tells us, uh, that we are not defined by our work, but that we're made in God's image, and out of that, we create and cultivate being his image bearers. I think today, our passage, day seven, is even in sharper contrast to the things our world tells us, that we are those who are made for rest. So we're going to see just how this day of rest unfolds into the fabric of creation. Did you read it?
Thanks be to God. Thanks, Stuart. Let's, um, let's pray before we begin. Lord, we need you this morning. We need your help. We need your spirit desperately to shed light and speak truth in our hearts. This is one of those places in scripture where, where I subtly and not so subtly ignore your call and your wisdom and your good design. So would you please not let your word, your beauty, your design just wash over us this morning with no change. Would you use your spirit to speak to each of us, each person, where we need you to, to draw us near to you and speak to our hearts. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. So we close this opening prologue of scripture with these three verses today. Our verse one begins with thus, right? Everything Genesis one, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, finished. They were complete. This opening chapter of scripture is filled with this completion language. The number seven, being on day seven, the number seven in Hebrew has this strong connection, this strong connotation to completeness, wholeness, finished. And it is poetically woven all throughout this opening prologue of scripture. Genesis 1-1, the first verse has seven words, seven Hebrew words. The next verse has twice seven words. And then our conclusion has thrice seven words. And so we close with this profound sense of completeness, wholeness. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all their host in them. Again, drawing back to Genesis 1-1. Our whole passage is drawing back to Genesis 1-1. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void. And now God has filled the earth, the sun, the moon, the animals, the plants, the land, the sea. He has filled it, all their host in them. It is finished. Empty, chaos, now accomplished, fill, fullness, beauty. He has accomplished it from the poetry to the structure to the narrative to the meaning of Hebrew numbers. The spirit through Moses is painting this extravagant portrait of completeness, wholeness, rightness, goodness. It is good. It is very good. It is complete. And then we have... Verse 2, what should come as a surprising, even jarring statement. God rested. God Shabbat. He Sabbath. That's where our word Sabbath comes from. He finishes all of his work and he rested. What does this mean? Is, was he just had a hard week of work? He's tired and needs a rest? No. This is the eternal, inexhaustible, everlasting full of life, who by the very power of his word brought everything that exists into being. The one whom the psalmist says never sleeps, never slumbers, never grows weary, but providentially and sovereignly upholds everything in all times and all places. No, the triune God here is not worn out from a hard week. He is resting in all that he made. He is delighting in it. Again, connecting back to Genesis 1.1. Emptiness, chaos, unrest. God has brought order, fullness, wholeness, and rest. The chaotic waters are no more. They are at rest. The land is at rest. Animals are at rest. And God, finishing his work, rests 
with his creation. He rests in his creation. That word to rest literally just means cease. God ceases. He has finished it. It is good. And he is at rest with his creation. And we'll get to this next week, but in chapter two, it says that God took the man and put him in the garden. Other translations settled him, dwelt him. That word is literally a word for rest. God rest man in the garden. And so we're getting this picture in this opening of Genesis that everything is how it should be, that God is at rest and he dwells with his creation. He dwells with his people. And there's actually some royal imagery going on here, some kingly imagery of God being in session. He is seated on the throne of everything he has made, of everything that is his. He is at rest over it all. And then we have something missing from day seven, something every other day has. And there was evening and there was morning, day one, day two, every day. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. We come here, there is no evening and morning. Why? Because day seven is the pinnacle of creation. It is this imagery of the ongoingness of day seven. To be in creation before the fall is to be at day seven rest. God is at rest in his creation. He is at rest in dwelling with his people. This ongoing imagery that there is no more. This is what creation is, to be at rest with God. He has finished it. He has completed this good work. And then we come to the last line of our passage. God blesses the seventh day. Again, somewhat surprisingly, in Genesis 1, thrice, I'm going I'm to see how many times I can use thrice today. Thrice, God blesses in this opening prologue. Day five, he blesses the birds and the sea creatures and their fruitfulness. Day six, he blesses man and woman and their fruitfulness. And then day seven, he blesses the whole day. Coming off the pattern of what we might expect. He sanctifies it. He makes it holy. He sets it apart. What's going on here? Well, the original audience of Genesis, the very first hearers, the first listeners of this word through Moses was the Israelites who God redeemed from slavery in Egypt and brought to the wilderness as they were on their way to the promised land. They already had a Sabbath. They already every week had a Sabbath to the Lord. So what God is doing is he's showing them where this came from that this is older than them. This is older than their 400 years of slavery. This is older than their forefathers, than their patriarchs. This is older than Abraham. This is older even than sin. That from the very foundation of the world, God made it this way, this seventh day holy rest. And that as God's people, they are to image him in rest, just as he did. Rooted in the very fabric of creation. From the inception of the world, there's the seventh day holy rest. And our passage is the precept for all of what happens on the Sabbath and the rest of the story of Scripture. And it's hard to overstate just how significant this is for the people of God. This Sabbath, this call to rest is so central to God's people. It is part of their identity. It is one of the covenant sureties that God says, this will be the sign between me and you for all generations that you are my people. It's in the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments don't have any other gods, don't make false idols, 
Don't murder, don't lie, don't steal. Sabbath, right? It's the fourth commandment. It's part of this fundamental uh, meaning of what it is to be God's people and follow him. And in the first five books of scripture, in this book of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, we have two times that the 10 commandments are given. In Exodus 20, when they're actually given, the accounting of them being given. And then in Deuteronomy 5, Moses retells those 10 commandments years later to remind God's people. So first, Exodus 20, if we could throw that up. This is what the fourth commandment, Exodus 20 says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For, because, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, you God's people, you are to labor six days and then rest because God did it. Because you are his image bearers. And God has made you, he has created you all the way from the beginning. You were made for this. And as God's people, you image him. This is what he did. And what this rest is, is identity and trust that you, your identity is that you are God's people and you image him. And four chapters before this, when God pours out the bread from heaven, the manna from heaven for his people, and tells them that each day you're gonna gather for six days, and on the seventh day, you're not gonna gather because on day six, I'm gonna give you twice a portion. I'm gonna give you enough for two days. And what do some of the people do? They go out on the seventh day anyway and look, and there's nothing there. It is this act, this rest, the Sabbath rest is an act of trust in God's provision, a trust in his good word that he made us this way and a trust that he will provide. That what we think we need seven days for, he says, I've given you six and I've given you this day of rest. Cease, rest from your labor for you are God's people and he will provide. And then in Deuteronomy 5, the second time we get the Ten Commandments, when Moses is retelling, he's reminding God's people of these, this covenant love and law that God has given them, of what it means to be God's people, this is what he says. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant or female servant may rest as well as you. Why? Different reason. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So why? Because God has redeemed you. And you are no longer slaves. You are no longer slaves. You are no longer forced to work all day, every day. Your only meaning, your only identity is what you do, what you produce. That is no longer who you are. I have redeemed you. I have set you free. And I'm going to give you this day of rest just to remind you that you belong to me, that you are my people, that I love you, and that I will give you rest, and that you are no longer defined by what you do. You are no longer slaves. 
You are no longer merely defined by what you produce, by how efficient you are, by your slavery. No, I have made you my people, and I have given you rest. So we have creation in Exodus 20, that this is how you were made, and then redemption, that I've saved you from this life of, of toilless labor, of vain working for your identity. I've saved you from that, and I've made you my own, and I love you, and I've given you rest. So, God's people, you redeemed of the Lord, rest. You're redeemed. You are no longer defined by what you do, by what you produce. You are his beloved, his redeemed, those whom he loves and gives rest to. So what does this mean? Let's get really practical. What does this Sabbath rest mean? Every week, one whole day, holy to the Lord, to cease from our work. It, be, it begins by what we're doing right now, by resting with his people in his worship, resting in God's promises, resting in his presence, resting with his people. That's why we gather here this morning. That is how this day begins. And then from here to rest, to cease from your labor, and not just our salary jobs, to actually stop and to rest from our chores, from our tasks, from our to-do list, from everything that we think out the week we've got to get done, this is what gives me meaning, this is what I'm defined by, to stop. Remember that you are God's people, that he loves you, and he's giving you this rest to remind you that you are not just what you do. So, there's no formula to this. There's no do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Rest, rest, actually rest. It's going to look different for each of us, for me, running is a chore, a burden, a tiresome work, so I'm not going to do that on the Sabbath. For some of you, it may actually be rest. You may actually feel God's pleasure, and it's not this toiling workout, and that's a way to rest in the Lord. But whatever it is, rest toward God. This is his day. This is this holy day set apart. This is not just mere relief. Like we're resting with the intentionality, with the, with the direction of being made in God's image and being redeemed by him. We are, when we rest, when we practice the Sabbath rest, we are reorienting ourselves to whose we are, to who made us, how we were made, and to the ways he's provided for us, to the goodness of the ways he's designed us, to rest in that reality, that we cease from our labor and we enjoy his good presence, his people, his places, and his provision. Let me say, we talked about Midtown Medical. We have a ton of medical professionals in our midst who work on Sundays. And from the outset of God's Sabbath rest, works of mercy and necessity are not just allowed on the Sabbath. They are actually part of what it is to Sabbath rest. You are ushering in God's kingdom of rest to places of unrest, to people who need rest. When Ellery was born, we were in the hospital on a Sunday could not be more thankful that there were nurses and doctors there to keep us alive, to take care of us. That is holy work. So for some of us, it may not always be able to be a Sunday. For those weeks that you are working essential mercy works, take another day, another day of rest to stop, to cease, to remind yourselves of these things, that you were created in God's image and that you were redeemed by him. But I would encourage you to not just think of Sunday purely as a work day, even on those days that you have to work. 
Like that, it's, I, I know this. Technically, I'm doing my job right now. I'm working. But it, this is still the Sabbath. This is still the Lord's day. And so I still think, even though I take Fridays off as my day off, I still think of this as the Sabbath, of the time that I get to gather with God's people and rest in his presence and in his promises. But for all of us, God created us for this. He redeemed us to free us from our toil and our labor and our vanity that we have tried to define ourselves by. And he provides for us so that we may rest in him. So, is that it? Is that all there is to this? Is it merely just, here's the Sabbath? We Americans suck at it, so do better. No, it's not. We're not, this is not just a do better, a Sabbath better, a rest better. Someone said to me this week when I was telling them I was preaching on the Sabbath, are you just going to make us all feel guilty that none of us do this? No. If you merely leave here today with guilt about how bad we are at Sabbath rest, then I have failed you. Yes, this is a real call, a real commandment of the Lord to practice this Sabbath rest every week. And he is waking us up this morning to this. But this is not merely a feel guilty, do better talk. We aren't here for a do better. We aren't here for a TED talk on tips and tricks to rest so that secretly you can be more productive. <laughs> no, we are here for good news. Good news. And here's the good news. Our God gives to his beloved rest. That's the good news, that we are no longer, as Psalm 127 says, those who in vain rise early and in vain go to sleep, eating the bread of anxious toil. No, our God gives to his beloved rest. That's the good news. And this holy Sabbath rest that he gives is eternal. It is our future hope. Let me tell you about it. This Sabbath rest is everywhere in the Bible, from creation to the Ten Commandments, God's covenant with his people. The promised land is referred to as rest, that they are longing to enter that rest, that land of milk and honey. That's what it's called, rest. Entire generations in Scripture are affected by God's people either obeying or disobeying, disregarding this Sabbath, this rest. Seriously, stories on stories all about the Sabbath. It is everywhere in the scripture. The entire story of the Bible could be told just through the lens of Sabbath rest. That in the beginning, God created the world. Out of chaos and unrest, he brought order and rest. That he made everything and it was beautiful and it was good and there was rest. God was at rest, delighting in his good creation, dwelling and resting with his people. All of creation was at rest. But sin came into the world and brought unrest. Man turned away from God, turned away from his good design, and there was toil and pain and suffering and unrest. The good and fruitful labor of our hands became toil and weariness the beauty and goodness and fruitfulness of childbirth became tiring and weary. There was no rest. Unrest in the world, 
unrest in our souls, in our bodies, in our mind. But God promised that he would not leave his creation in that unrest. He redeemed a people for himself out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he promised them this land of rest, this land of milk and honey where they would rest. He set aside an entire day for them, rooted in the fabric of creation, that they would rest and remind themselves of whose they were. But they couldn't live up to it. They couldn't live up to that invitation of that land of rest. And so they brought more unrest, more chaos. They turned to other gods looking for rest and satisfaction. They made themselves gods looking for rest, multiplying and multiplying this unrest. But God again said, I will not leave my people in this unrest. I will bring rest. He promised recreation. He promised eternal rest, just as he created the world, just as what we see in our passages day seven. This is what it is to dwell with God. He said, I will restore this. I will make this happen. And so as we read throughout the whole Old Testament, this longing, this seeking for rest, and we arrive in Matthew at the birth of Jesus, where God said, I'm sending my own very son, true God from true God, the very eternal, inexhaustible God who never tires, who never wearies, came as a baby, who slept and cried, taking on the form of a man, a man who slept a third of his time here on earth. The eternal, inexhaustible God who never sleeps and never slumbers became a man because God promised this rest that he would not leave his creation. And so this Jesus came into the world to bring rest. And this is what he says, if you'll throw up Matthew 11. Calling and inviting all people, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Come to me who all who, are labor, who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls for your souls. And this invitation, this good news that Jesus proclaims is right next to a story about the Pharisees arguing with Jesus about what the Sabbath is and what is and isn't allowed on the Sabbath. And he's saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. You have misunderstood the Sabbath. You cannot have true Sabbath rest without resting in me that this Sabbath rest is the outworking of God giving to his beloved rest who he has given through me. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And so, taking on the full unrest of the world, all of the chaos and unrest that sin brought into the world, taking that and bearing it on the cross, this is what he says in John 19. It is finished. Same word from our passage. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished. Jesus is saying, it is finished. You can cease because I have finished it. I am bringing that seventh day rest. He's ushering in this new creation, this restoration of how things were meant to be, of that seventh day where there's no morning and no evening. It's ongoing. That's where we rest and dwell with God. Jesus is saying, just as God finished and rested with his people, it is finished. And so he died on that cross to bring eternal rest to weary and tired people. He laid in a tomb 
and his body was at rest on that holy Sabbath, that Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday that we're about to celebrate here in a few months. His body laid to rest on that holy Sabbath, but it didn't stay there. He rose, conquering unrest and bringing eternal rest to all who would believe in him, to every weary and tired soul who would say, I need that rest that is found in, him, in you. He ushered in this kingdom, which will find its climactic moment, that day that we are waiting for when heaven and earth are reunited and the people of God rest in the presence of their maker and their savior forever, where there is no morning and no evening, where that day has no end, where there is no sun or moon because the very glory of God will be the light in our midst. There will be no more unrest. We will rest and dwell with God forever. That is what our hearts long for. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in Jesus. And that's what saving faith in Jesus actually is. It is resting upon him alone for salvation. Resting upon his work, his finished work. Resting upon that statement, it is finished. That I am no longer striving, I'm no longer meriting, I'm no longer earning. I have found God's eternal rest because I am resting on Jesus alone for salvation. That is what faith in Jesus is. It's a rest. And as the redeemed people of God, as those who have been united to Jesus by that faith, we practice this weekly Sabbath rest in a very similar way to as we practice the Lord's Supper. Look at, if you'll throw Hebrews 4 up on the, on the screen. Hebrews 4 is talking about that, that land of rest, that promised land of rest that Joshua wanted to bring God's people into, but they couldn't live up to it. It's talking about that. And this is what it says. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. But he did. He did speak of another day later on. Because the promised land, the people couldn't live up to that rest. They sought unrest. They kept running after unrest. And so God spoke of another day, the day of Jesus. Jesus, the Greek name for Joshua, the second Joshua, the better Joshua, who said, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. That is the day God spoke of, the day of Jesus. So, continuing, so then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works just as God did from his so why do we Sabbath every week? Because we who have entered God's rest by resting in Jesus, by resting from our labor, our striving, our seeking for meaning, our seeking to define ourselves, our, our seeking to merit and to earn, we have rested from that work and we have rested in Jesus and thus we have entered God's rest. That we are resting in that finished work of Jesus. Just as God finished and rested in what he had done. Jesus finished, and we get to rest in what he has done. So just as we have done that, so then there remains a Sabbath rest, a weekly Sabbath rest for the people of God. Why? Because just like the Lord's Supper, where we look back 
and commemorate what Jesus has done, his work on the cross, that his body and blood shed for us, and we foretaste that future feast looking ahead to the day where we will sit at the table of that eternal wedding feast. Likewise, when we Sabbath, when we practice this weekly Sabbath rest, we are looking back that it is finished, that we are at rest, that we are no longer enslaved, that we are no longer defined by what we do, but we have found rest for our souls, even as we look ahead and foretaste and even rehearse that eternal seventh day, that day that we long for, where we will rest and dwell with God forever. That's what this passage is about. God rested in his finished work. We have rested in God's finished work, in the work of Jesus, who said, it is finished. And what we are doing when we Sabbath rest is we are proclaiming that reality to the world. Proclaiming a kingdom not of this world. Proclaiming the reality that we have found rest for our souls. That we are no longer striving, seeking, toiling, meriting, earning for meaning, but we have found rest in Jesus. And so we are proclaiming to the world, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family, the good news of Jesus' invitation. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Eternal rest for your souls.